Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege we have to gather to study your word. We look up to you to teach us. We look up to you to help us to understand the wisdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, today we are looking at concerning the things of the Holy Spirit, part six. Concerning the things of the Holy Spirit, part six, we've done five parts. This is the sixth one, and we're focusing today on offices of the church. Our text is 1 Corinthians 12, 1, and concerning the spiritual things, brethren, I do not wish you to be ignorant. God doesn't want us to be ignorant about what the Holy Spirit is doing in our <clears throat> lives. So now, we are coming to the end of this series of the things of the Holy Spirit. This started from the Spirit's life, which is the new life and nature of God that Christ gave us when he came. Uh, when we received him, we received a new life, we received the, the nature of God. And this is really what matters most in all of these things that the Spirit of God is doing. This controls how we exercise the other gifts and the calling of God in our lives. This life that we received is described as the love of God for God is love. Now, these sacred offices and ministries that the Holy Spirit has set in his church has been abused and desecrated by people who are carnal and do not live the life of Christ. People who are not controlled by the love of God, but by selfishness and pride, and also ignorant. People who are ignorant of the whole things of the Holy Spirit. This, is, this has brought much harm to the body of Christ. Many have been duped by so-called pastors, so-called prophets, so-called man of God, so we need to go to scriptures to know how to identify the real ones and also the fake ones and how to identify the real offices and the fake ones and how to know whether we too are called in all these offices because the Holy Spirit set all these offices in the church for the purpose of running the church. All of them should be operating in a local church. He set them up not for stories. He runs the church through all these offices and runs the purpose and the will of God through all of these offices and all these giftings that he gives to Christians who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to take this study very seriously. Now let's start with looking at the call to these offices, the call, because that's where the error begins. Now no man can take this honor unto himself. No man taking this honor unto himself you can't wake up and say, I'm an apostle. Neither can you wake up and declare yourself an evangelist. You can't wake up and demand and say, I'm now a pastor. Simply because you preach somewhere. It doesn't work like that. Hebrews 5, 4. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. You can't wake up and say, I am this, I am that. You are taking this honor unto yourself. That's how false calling starts. It's not God. He says, no man taketh this honor unto his obey. He that is called of God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself. 
He didn't wake up and say, now I'm a great high priest. That's not how it happens. Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. He said, God called him. He didn't call himself. You can't wake up and declare this to yourself. Look at Paul in Galatians 2 verse 1. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. And Titus came along too. Verse 2. I went there because God revealed to me. See what God revealed to him? God revealed to me that I should go. Why should he go? While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. If they did not, if they did not confirm this call on Paul, Paul said everything I've been doing is wasted. And God revealed to him, go there. You need for them to confirm this thing. There has to be order in the, in the house of God. You, God has no room for disorderliness. Don't just wake up one morning and because you had a dream and then, and then you become a prophet. It doesn't work like that. God said to him, you need to go up there and tell them what I've been revealing to you. They need to authenticate it. They need to confirm it. And Paul said, if they didn't, then I wasted my time. In Galatians 2 verse 4, it says, even that question came up only because of some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us, take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you, six, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation was as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorite. Instead, they saw, the leaders confirmed it, they saw. They saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. The leaders saw it and they say yeah this call is from God the leaders saw it and confirmed it for Paul God said go up there and let them I put them there as leaders go up there subject yourself to the authority and humble yourself verse 13 2 and they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Spirit said you see the ordination of Paul the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, to the work whereunto I have called them. Paul didn't wake up and just say, oh, you know what? I have revelation, so I'm called. I'm going to begin to, and the anointing is on me. I'm going to, no, 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 no. He subjected himself to leadership, and the Holy Spirit said, okay, separate them now, and ordain this man for what I've called him to do. You can now see why his ministry continued from there. Continued from there. And he says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them, verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, 
and from things they sell to Cyprus. That's how it works. That's how it works. I remember one man came to our church one time, introduced himself as either an apostle or whatever, and I said, which church do you belong to? Under who did you grow? Oh, he said, no, he said, I don't, I don't, I don't belong to, God called me especially, and I told him, well, you should go. There's no room for you here. It's called disorderly things. There is no place you allow this kind of thing, not even in a company. You can't wake up one day and say, I'm not a manager. It doesn't work there. Even the world can't do these things. So it's not not the way it works in the things of God. The things of God are done in order. It's done in order. 1 Timothy 3 says, says, you must not be a novice. Let's be lifted up with pride. You fall into condemnation of the devil. You see, he begins to say, no, it, hasn't, it, must, it mustn't be a novice. There are other conditions they put down there, verse 10. And let this, let this also face be proved. They must start somewhere, teach Sunday school. Do, but they, he said, let them be proved first. Then let them use the office of deacon, being found blameless. It's, they must be proved. The Bible says, don't let hands suddenly on any man. They must be proved. If they don't want to be proved, then they are not candidate for anything. They are rebellious and cannot. They must be proved. So the kingdom of God is not a disorderly kingdom. God does his things in order. So this call is not something you take unto yourself. And it has a process the Holy Spirit put in the, in the Bible for us to follow. He says, if you desire to be a pastor or whatever, he says, these are the conditions, these are the processes you've got to follow. You have to be proved first. And then the authorities of the church confirm that this call is upon you. So you don't, you don't take it upon yourself and go and the devil use you in pride and destroy your life. Now, whether it is spiritual gift or office, they should not be abused or used for self-gratification. They must not be abused. They are all to be exercised as God intended for the edification of the body and under the manifestation of the Holy Spirit himself. Not as men will, but as God wills, there is nobody in any office from pastor to apostle who has the right to do what he wants. Not even on the pulpit as a preacher, as a pastor. You don't have the right to come to the pulpit and just do what you want. You can't do that. It's not, it, God owns the church. The church is not yours. This ministry is the Holy Spirit doing it. So we have to make sure that we are not abusing it, but we are exercising it under the authority and manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, you see the Corinthian church, they had all the gifts Look at 1 Corinthians 1.4. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you. Now that you, now that you belong to Christ Jesus, through him God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. Verse 6. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift. I told the people that in the early church, they had all these gifts working in every church. They don't walk in churches today. People are trooping around looking for man of God. They say you have spiritual gifts. You have, you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. They had it. 
but they were abusing it in, in, in manifesting it in exercising it disorderly in disorderly manner because they were carnal people that's why the life of Christ the nature of Christ the, 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 that he gave us is important because that's what controls it controls every other thing the Holy Spirit is doing through you has to be controlled by the love of God, by the nature of Christ, by, the, by that life of God. That's what controls it so that it is used as, according to the will of God. But if it's not controlled by that, then it's controlled by our carnal nature and we abuse it. Because the flesh will never, never do the will of God. We abuse it. So now they had all this gifts, but look at these people in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. They were now seeking for preeminence. You know, who has more anointing, whom, who, who is his bigger prophet, who preaches better. They were now competing. Instead of complimenting. That's what carnality does. Preeminence, seeking for preeminence, title. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, had a doctrine, had a tongue, had a revelation, had an interpretation. Let all things be done unto a defined. If any man speak in an unknown language, let it be by, by two or at most three. And that, of course, and that by cause. So you send them, do this in order. You don't need to be competing. Do this in order. And and then he said, um, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by cause, that is in order by cause, and let one interpret 28. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God, 29. Let the prophet also speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything is revealed to, one, to another that seated by, let the first hold his peace. There's no competition. Hold this peace. That one, for ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted by statute. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophet. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He said, Paul was bringing order here because these people were very, very carnal people. There was disorder in everything they were doing. And it happens today. You know, who is more anointed, who has greater number in his church. People are doing all manner of things, just competing. So we go and boast. Say, you know, man, if you know the people, if you know the anointing, wow. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 3. Why do I doing all of this? For you are still unspiritual, having the nature of the flesh, under the control of ordinary impulses. For as long as there are envy and jealousy and wrangling and factions among you, are you not unspiritual and of the flesh, behaving yourself after a human standard, like mere unchanged men? For, for when one says, I belong to Paul, you see, competition. Paul has anointing. Oh, they are anointing. I don't know that I belong to Apollos. Are you not proving yourself ordinary unchanged men, focusing on human beings, or focusing on Jesus? It's not about who has greater this or greater that. It's about how faithful you are in what God has called you to do. That's what is important. And rejoice. Whoever has greater one, rejoice, compliment. Let it bless the body of Christ. And so love is the greatest manifestation of, of the spirit of 
Christ in the life of a Christian. It controls every other thing and brings it into the, the purpose and the will of God for giving these offices and for giving these gifts. Without love, we cannot, the flesh cannot control it under the will of God. Like I said, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, I think, 13, 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, or verse 12, I think it's verse 12. Verse 12? Oh, 31, yeah, 31. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. My my, my notes here is confusing a little bit. But covet honestly the best gifts. Paul now says something. Yeah, covet this best gift, but and yet I show... And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Convert these gifts wonderful, but there's, there's one that is more excellent than all of them. And he began to show the importance of love, the life of Christ, the more, how important it is. Then, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become sounding brass or a tinkering cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, stand all and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, I have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all the, my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Paul is saying the greatest thing is the life of Christ in us. That's what controls these other things. That if we do anything, that is not under the nature of Christ, under the nature of God, then it is out of sync with what the Holy Spirit will do. And it will profit us nothing. So he said, the more excellent way we should pursue, even though we, all these gifts and offices should work in the church, but he said, love is more, is, is, is more excellent way that if we live in love, then that love will control our being a pastor, our being an usher. Your, the love of God will control it. We control it. First Corinthians 13, 13. Oh, I read First Corinthians 12, 31. Then I think I read, uh, I read 13 from verse 1. I think that's what happened. 13 from verse 1. Now I'm reading 13 from verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. But let love be our highest goal. So Paul, on the proper use of these gifts, trying to, so, that we, so that we don't abuse it and become fake. Become fake. You can have the real thing and abuse it to the flesh. It becomes fake. Instead of blessing, it becomes trouble. So Paul is addressing the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit and offices of the church from pastor to apostle to uh, evangelist and teacher. The proper use of these things. In, um, in Romans 12 from verse, 10, from verse 3, he was talking about don't, don't because you know you're a pastor or you're an evangelist or because God has used you here or there to, to puff yourself up. And they now begin to act as if beyond the grace, the level that God is using you, you start to want to pad it up. Pad it up with, you know, pride. He said, don't do that. 
Stay where God is using you and be satisfied. Don't try to be like the Joneses. So in, in Romans 12, verse 3, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourself with the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So everybody has his own gifting. So don't try to intimidate people to, to believe you are something special. You have greater anointing. That's carnality. Paul discourages that kind of behavior. That's not proper use of, uh, of the gift. It is not a defying anybody in that way at all. Now, let's look at the offices of the church. These offices of the church we're focusing on today, first of all, it's not, you, you are not called to them because you have impressed God. You know, some people think because you know God is using me in a particular office, then I must be someone, someone special, <laughs> someone holier than others. It's not true. Absolutely not. Look at the scripture, Galatians 1.15. But even before I was born, before you had the opportunity to come and impress God, before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. It's a call of grace. Every call is a call of grace. All these gifts, that's why it's gifts. It's, it's, a, it's a manifestation of divine grace. Not because you are too gingim Christian, you know, you're holier now, you're so special, so sanctified. It's not like that. It's not like that. It's not like that. But even before I was born, so before you were born, God has decided to use you in those things. Before, before we were born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I will proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. I say, please God to give me this revelation. This revelation is not because Paul was a more, was a more holier person. He said, just please God to give me this. So yeah, he will use me in what he purpose to use me even before I was born. So it is all call of grace. We should humble ourselves and let others be. And let, you don't have it all. Let others be. Appreciate what God is doing through others. We are one body, different hand, leg. God is using everybody in what God has called them. And you should celebrate them and encourage them. So this is the proper use of, of, of distance that God, Paul is bringing that we should know that we didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. It's a gift and calling of grace before you were born. Now, offices of the church... And their purposes. Ephesians 4 verse 8. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Verse 10. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave some apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. These are the five offices of the church. This is different from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is the offices of the church. People call to full-time work. 
offices of the church. Or they can be part-time. But these are full offices through which God administers the grace of God in the church and also using the church to reach the world. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teachers. So let's start with the office of the pastor. Pastors are the shepherds of the church. Everyone in a local church is under the leadership of that pastor of that local church, including any visiting pastor. A visiting pastor, when you enter somebody's church, you have no right, you have no authority to come there and tell him, I'm a bishop somewhere. It doesn't work like that. In that local assembly, he's the angel of God. You are not responsible for what happens there. He is. So when you go there, you subject yourself to him. The last time I preached in somebody's church some weeks ago, I went straight to the pastor. I said, so I'm here. I'm subjecting myself to your authority. Whatever you want me to do, I do. Do you want me to wear a mask? What do you want me to do? I said, sir, you need to, you need to do the altar call. You know, and I said, I'm here to serve under you because you are the angel of this church. You are the pastor of the church. You can't go there and say, oh, our church is bigger than your own. It doesn't work by numbers. God cares less about all these things. It doesn't work by numbers. So the, the pastor is the, is the, everybody subjects himself to the authority of the pastor of that local church. He's the one who gives God account to God for that church, not you. If you're a visiting pastor, you will go now. You are not the one. He's the one who gives God, uh, who gives God account of that church. He's responsible for the day-to-day running of the church of Jesus Christ. So in Revelation, the Holy Spirit calls him the angel of the church and addresses him directly for the problems in the church as if he is the church himself. So in Revelation 2, 1, unto the angel, he didn't say angels, one, the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? This thing says he that holdeth the seven stars in sand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candles. He calls him the angel of the church. The angel, the angel, angel, the angel, the angel of the church of Ephesus, the pastor there. And in Revelation 8, he said, unto the angel of the church of Simna, Simna. He calls him the angel of the church of Simna. Why? Because he's the one that gives God account. He's in charge. God put him in charge of that local assembly. That local assembly. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself for they watch for your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Because if you cause them grief and they're in pain, they will not do this work well and you pay the price, you suffer. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying that it's unprofitable to you. Do everything to help them have good mind because they, they, they are taking care. He said they watch over your soul. I don't know how anybody will not understand that the work of the pastor is very important because this Holy Spirit says, this, this person watches over your soul. Give account to me. It's just like people who watch over your money. You are not going to go and get them mad. So it's important that we know that the pastor gives account to God. That's why he is the angel of that church. He takes he take, and the Bible, he has rule over you. God has put him in that place of authority and place of, and, uh, of rule. So they are stewards 
of the, of the owner of the ship, the stewards. A steward is somebody who takes care of somebody, something. So they are just stewards. First Timothy 5.17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Call them elders who rule well. Be counted worthy of double honor. They rule well. Especially those who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muscle an ox while it trains out the grain. The, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, it says, the, the laborer is worthy of his wages. No, no pastor has the scriptural authority to take tithe. There is no verse in the New Testament that gives the pastor the right to take tithe. That is stealing the money of the church. The tithe goes to the body, the local church. The pastor is only entitled to his wages. It's not like in the Old Testament. This is New Testament. The laborer is worthy of his, worthy of his wages. He says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it trails out the grain. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. So he said, they, 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 you just give them, he said, they are worthy of double, double honor. Which means pay them well. Don't cheat them. So they don't walk with sorrow. Because it will be unprofitable to you. So that's what the Holy Spirit is saying. But not for them to be taking the church money. It is stealing. It is unscriptural. It is immoral. No pastor should do stuff like that. Shouldn't even put your eyes in the money. You should focus on teaching the people the word of God. If you, if you teach the people the word of God and they are not carnal, they, they, will, they, will, they will serve Jesus with all their heart. And if they don't give you something, don't, don't, don't go using the puppy to bamboozle them and confuse them and intimidate them to be giving you. It's Jesus that you're serving. His reward is in his hand. He gives it. And he does give it. If you let him. If you let him. So the pastor shouldn't touch the tithe. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to the body because we are priests. This is the body of priests. So priests receive the tithe. So we receive it as a body. And we use it for the work of Jesus. So there are stewards. And then Titus 1.5. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things, the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Verse If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, come to appoint the rebellious person a pastor. Insubordination, verse seven. For a bishop, you see, he used the word elder. Now he's calling it bishop, which is pastor. For a bishop must be blameless, must be blameless as a steward of God. You see, he's a steward taking care of what belongs to God. Souls, all souls belong to God. This is the sheep of God's pasture he bought with the blood and life of his son. They don't belong to the pastor. They are not your sheep. Actually, calling people my members is not right. They're not your members or anything. You too are a member. It's not scriptural. I don't see why I be calling people my members. Are they members of what? They are members of our church. You too, part of it. It's better to say, yeah, these are members of our church, me, because we are all members of the church. Because all this my member thing, it gets into our head, we think we are better than everybody else. God is no respecter of persons at all. So verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed. See, he can't do what you want. Not quick-tempered. Not giving to wine. You see a lot of pastors who drink wine. They drink wine. It's not giving to wine. Nor violent. 
other violent anger, <laughs> not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober, minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as it has been taught. You see, he was taught first when he was being proved. He, somebody taught him first. If you are not a good follower, you can't be a good leader. He was taught first as he has been taught that he may be able now by sound doctrine which he've learned both exhort and convict those who contradict. So you see, he teaches even those who contradict, but he has to be knowledgeable from what he's been taught to be able to minister to them the word of God. So he is really, really the steward of the sheep of God. And then uh, in Acts 20, 28, therefore take heed unto yourself and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. See, he's, the, he's in charge to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he's simply a steward, an overseer, taking care of the sheep of Jesus. Sheep of Jesus. Some people, if, if, they, if they come to church and the members don't carry their bag, they start fighting, they start quarreling with them, frowning. They didn't carry your bag. Why must they carry your bag? Don't you have two hands? You should carry your bag. We are here to serve people, wash their feet. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say, Jesus said, I didn't come here to, to, be, to be served. I came to serve people. That's his word. Now, but you see, the sheep will also give account of every word the pastor is teaching them. The food is feeding them. You give account of that one. In Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. The Bible studies, it tells you to come. All the things he's doing so that you'll be fed and you're not there. You do what you like. You give account to It's everyone. He will give account for what he does. But you give account to what you also did with everything your pastor is teaching you and telling you instructions he's giving you. So the pastor's main assignment is to teach and feed the church. That's his main assignment. First Timothy 3.2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. In New Living Translation, he says he must be able to teach because he has to feed the church with the word of God. He has to feed the church with the, 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 the gospel. So he must know how to teach. Second Timothy 2.24 says a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, able to teach, and be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. He has to instruct, he has to teach. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Look at verse 26, so you know something's happening in some churches now. Then they will come to their senses, escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him, to do whatever he wants. There are people in churches the devil has held captive, motivating them to, to disorderly behavior, gossiping, and all those kind of things. And they are doing the will of Satan. The Bible says such people you gently instruct those who oppose the truth. So the pastor's main job is to teach and to instruct. Ephesians tells us that the main purpose of all these offices is really to bring the Christian to maturity in the life of Christ. In Ephesians 4, 11, 
Now, these are the gifts church gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. That's their responsibility. All these offices, evangelist, prophet, pastor, teacher, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Like Paul said, until Christ is fully formed in you. That's the goal of all these things, that Christ is fully formed in every Christian. In every Christian. So that we grow to maturity in Christ. So that we live in the fullness of the new nature we have received. In the fullness of the divine life that we have received. That's the goal of all of this. So the pastor teaches and feeds and prays for the sheep, like, like, like Paul said he, said, he said, I agonize for you until Christ is formed in you. See, that's the goal. It's not to go there and they buy, buy you cars and buy you houses. If God uses them to buy, bless the name of the Lord. But the, the goal is this first. I'm not saying they shouldn't buy you. They can buy you if they want to. But what I'm saying is this. You, that's not the main goal. First, if they bring bless and want to, to God be all the glory, take it and enjoy it. But that's not the goal. It's not anywhere in this place that the first goal is, the, no, the first goal is to, that Christ is formed in them. That should be your desire, your prayer, your everything. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. The devil is cheating and stealing God's sheep. They should not be mature and children. We won't be tossed, blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they should. They sound like the truth. So you produce mature Christians who will, be able to, who will not be easily deceived by the, the, the last day's deceit that is everywhere. That is the goal of the pastor, the apostle, and all the, all the other offices that God has put there. Now, let's look at the apostles. Now, let us see from Scripture the office of an apostle. They are sent ones. Though in broader sense of it, every Christian is sent to preach the gospel. But there are people who have the apostolic calling. They are sent to preach the gospel and start churches. Not every Christian is called to preach the gospel and start churches. So they are sent to start pioneer works. Every Christian preaches the gospel, but the apostles are sent to go and preach and pioneer works. John 12, 20, 21. Then say Jesus to them, that is to the apostles, peace be unto you, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. So they are the sent ones with, with, with the goal and purpose of starting Pioneering a new work, churches, and when they pioneer, they move on and appoint pastor. That's what apostles do. They, they, they usually are church planters. They start a church, and when they start, it grows, and they move on. They start it, it grows. They move on. That's, that's the office of the apostle, Saint One. Remember, there are other apostles apart from the original 12, like Paul himself. So we can see the operation of the office of an apostle through the ministry of Paul. He went around and started churches, then appointed pastors over them, and went on, and went on, 
Apostles always, always have the gift of special faith because they encounter great dangerous opposition until they soften the ground, so to say. The beginning of everything is almost hard, so they have they manifest the gift of special faith. They manifest the gifts of working of uh, miracles, all the power gifts. They manifest power gifts. The, the gift of faith, gift of working of miracles, gifts of healings. Apostles manifest them. They manifest them. Acts 14, 21. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. You see where they started work? See, they returned again to those cities where they started churches. 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God because they passed through a lot of tribulation themselves. Verse 23, and when they had ordained, see, they started these churches now, they are ordaining pastors. When they have ordained them, elders in every church, I have prayed with fasting, they commanded them, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. You see, they started this work, Lystra, Iconium, and they appointed pastors and ordained them and put them in charge and continued and went on to other areas of work. Now, because the apostle planted those churches and ordained pastors, he has overall authority over all the churches that God used him to start. He has overall spiritual authority over all of them. All of them. He has. So, and then you see it in the, in the ministry of Paul. Paul wrote them letters instructing them in all these churches. He wrote Corinthians, Ephesians. All these churches he started, he would write them letters instructing them in doctrines, instructing them in what, when they would ask him about marriage, he would, he would instruct them what to do. He said, when I come, I'm going to put this in order. So he was still helping them. He was still helping them. So he has that apostolic authority over those churches that God used him to, to plant. First Corinthians 11 2. I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. See, he's talking to the Corinthian church. First 11 verse 33. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. 34. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That you, that you come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. When I come, I'm going to set things in order. Because he has spiritual authority over all those churches that he planted. And then the sign of an apostle. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. When I, when I was with you, when I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I'm an apostle. What is the proof? For I patiently, you know, patience, character. Character, brethren. By their fruits you shall know them. That's number one thing, first of all. Character. For I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. He said, these are the signs of an apostle. Remember Paul, we say, but you people know what manner of men we have been among you. You saw our character. So the first thing is his patience. And then the signs and wonders. He didn't put signs and wonders and miracles first. He puts character first. Patience. If you read other translations, it just talks, you say, for, you know our patience. You know, so, so the apostle usually will operate in the, in, the, in the power gifts of special faith, working of miracles, 
and healings. Let me repeat it. Paul said the science of an apostle is our patience in trials, in tribulations, our patience. And then number two is the signs and wonders and miracles among you, which you saw. He said, this is the proof that I'm an apostle. So if anybody comes to you and says, I'm an apostle, he hasn't planted churches, he hasn't done anything like that, and there is no manifestation of these gifts, you might as well think twice. Because that is not Bible pattern. That's not Bible pattern. That should be at least the gift of faith. You will see him do things by faith that is not usual. Because there's anointing that comes on him and gives him that special faith, the unusual faith, to do unusual things and speak unusual things, pronounce unusual things, act in unusual way. It is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit doing these things. Then you know that that person has apostolic calling. And how you know them is a church planting. Men, they plant church. Anywhere they go start church, even they produce pastors, they produce a lot of pastors because it's in their gifting to plant churches and then, uh, and then put pastors there. Now, let's look at the evangelist. I think this will be the last one we can, we'll have time to look at. Evangelist, the next Thursday will continue to look at uh, the other ones. But evangelist. Now, the evangelist has identical ministry with that of the apostle, but he does not plant churches. He doesn't stay. He preaches and goes. And then the church sends people, the church now sends people to, to plant churches from the harvest that God gave him. He's, he doesn't have this planting church call. His call is preach the gospel. People give their life to Christ and the church sends people to go and take care of the, those people. They send pastors and workers from that local church to go and take care of those people. So evangelists are people always on the move. And let me say here, evangelists are not people going from church to church. When you see anybody going from church to church, I'm an evangelist, it's not. Because the, the, the fish is not there. You go to where the fish is. You can't be going from church to church and say, I'm an evangelist. You are not. The evangelist goes to the world where the fish is. That's where he should be. They should be supported by a church. Now, let's, let's look at the ministry of um, Philip. Acts 21, 8. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. So we know that Philip is an evangelist. Now let's look at his ministry, so we can learn how the evangelist oppressed. Acts 8.4 Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, remember the evangelist, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed Unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles he did. You see, he had also the gifts of the Spirit operate. You see, the place of the gifts of the Spirit in evangelism and in the work of the Holy Spirit in the church is very crucial. It's very important. If the church is not interested in these things, that church will never operate in its full potential. A church that's not interested in these things, a Christian that has not interest in this, will not be too useful to God. Watch it. Everywhere we are reading about evangelism and the work of God, you will see Paul said, okay, the signs of the apostles and what the Holy Spirit is doing, miracles, this, this, this. And now we see Philip again. That's how the gospel is preached. Not just words. That's how we can reach this word, church. That's how it works. It's not for pastors alone. There are evangelists sitting in churches. They're not doing anything. They're not doing anything because they don't know these things. 
So it says, it says verse eight, Acts 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ unto them, six, and the people with one accord gave it unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Seven, what miracles? For unclean spirits, crying with lovers, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city because of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The power gifts. Great joy. They never saw anything like this. But there was a certain man. Look at how even, even a false, a, a false a, a native doctor repented because he saw greater miracle than what the kingdom of Satan was doing. Philip was demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God. It was so awesome that in verse 9, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before in the same city, you sorcery. This is Satan. And be with the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. You see what you are saying? If it is the Holy Spirit, you can't be giving yourself out as important. That's not God. Christ made himself of no, of no reputation. The spirit of Christ is easy to identify. So this one is giving himself up as great one, anointed one or man of God. Once you see these things, you be, be careful. Then verse 10. To whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Why? He was doing miracles for them, false miracles. If he wasn't doing miracles, they won't call him the great power of God. 11, and to him they had, they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, a superior kingdom came to town. Oh my God, Jesus came to town. The power that raised over every power came to town. That's what the church should be. That's what we ought to be, not church goers, bench warmers. Verse 12. But when they believe Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon, Simon saw what he never saw. Like the, the, like the, like the Egyptians of Egypt, they said, man, this is the finger of God. Simon saw the finger of God and bowed to it. There's no argument. This argument we do is because we are not really walking in the power of God. You, you don't have to argue with anybody. If they see the gifts of the Spirit manifest through you once, they will all come to you. And me, all of us. So, let's see Simon. Simon. Starting. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. And wondered, he wondered, he wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles see now the difference between the evangelists and the apostles, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem, see, they, they are the ones that will appoint these pastors, which were at Jerusalem, had that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet it was not yet fallen upon them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. You see how it works? The evangelist goes, preaches with power, 
people give their life to Christ and the church moves in with support, support uh, uh, personnel to establish them in the, in the church and in faith. Now, look at Philip again, Acts 8.26. And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, and an eunuch of great authority, under Candisa, queen of Ethiopians, who had the child of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, 28, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet, then the, the spirit said unto Philip the, the evangelist, go near, joy thyself to that chariot. And Philip ran it out to him, and had him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understand that word diary this to one. And he said, How can I except some except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he she would come up and sit with him. The, the place of the scripture which he read was this he was laid as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his share. So opened he not his mouth. In his in his simulation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall desire his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked, asked, answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest that with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he said, He answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That was all. That was all. That ate. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and Eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. That the, the eunuch saw him no more. His job was done. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Itinerant preacher. That's the evangelist for you. It's not somebody who is going from church to church. You say, I mean, you are not. Just not. Your ministry is not within the church, your ministry is outside the church. Now, from next Thursday, we'll go to teacher. Who is the teacher? From the teacher, we'll finally go to the prophet and look at all the, these things that uh, the remaining offices of the church. Let us pray. Our Father, we just want to thank you again for teaching all these things because sitting in the church are many people who should be evangelists, actually even apostles, pastors, but they don't know anything about it. And there are people who are false ones going around bamboozling people, intimidating people, and then cheating them, stealing from them. Lord, now we know Bible standard. If anybody comes to say I'm an apostle, we look at the Bible and say you don't measure up what the Bible says. Lord, I pray that you help us so that we'll be able to stand against the deceit of the devil in these last days and that the church will rise up and they breast these things, embrace all the gifts of the Spirit because the world will respect the church, will listen if they see like Simon saw Something the kingdom of God demonstrates that the world cannot produce. So that the name of Jesus is honored and your name is glorified. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' name we pray.